0: ease them in, You know what I mean? And so they go, I actually kind of enjoyed that. So the next time we even have a sh- shorter service, 75 minutes. So it'll all work for them to really become part of our church's uh, life. So Father, we thank you this morning. You're just an amazing God. We thank you for your mercies. that They're new every morning. We experience them each and every day. And Father, I pray today as we hear your message, we hear your word, Lord, may you speak not only to us uh, collectively, but you will speak to each one of us individually, and Father, I ask today that we will uh, rise up to the challenge. We will be encouraged by the word of comfort that's going to come this morning. I just pray today we'll leave this place knowing that living for you is the ultimately greatest life to be lived, and we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Now I know that all of us love different kinds of music, right? And some of you might be like me, I'm quite eclectic, I like all kinds of different music. There's only one genre I haven't really wrapped my head around and uh, that's rap. It, it all sounds the same to me, you know. The lyrics change, but the music sounds the same. Now, maybe some of you are great fans of rap. That's great. And some of you probably, you know, like country-western or you like classical or popular. I like it all. I actually love music. But some of you that really love symphony music you you'll just tell us you know how amazing that music is and some of it is is incredible i love listening to great orchestration and randy elcorn in his book if god is Good. He says this, do we criticize a great composer whose symphony doesn't end in 10 minutes? How many know these guys really produced long pieces of work? And how many recognize it was not like, you know, when you have a pop song, it's either upbeat or it's a ballad and it's a lot slower. But in a great symphony, there's different movements in the symphony. How many recognize that? And sometimes you move from some very melancholic movements and passages in the music to very vibrant uh, expressions in the song. And so when we listen to those different expressions, we actually begin to celebrate the artistry of that composer, do we not? And when we hear those dark and melancholic sessions, we don't conclude, oh, he just made a mistake. He should be more upbeat than that. Once we reach the ending, we recognize the symphony was a far greater work than one that consists of only bright melodies. We, we actually take the whole thing into consideration. And you know, so often in life, that's what we fail to do. You know, we don't always appreciate the dark moments of the soul in our lives. Isn't that true? We don't really appreciate the challenges that come our way. How many here, when trials come your way, go, Oh wow, good. I'm in the middle of a great trial. Right? You know, we don't, we're not, we don't have that kind of a thinking. We're not like James who said, consider it pure joy when you have all these difficulties come in your life. We don't go, Oh good God, I'm going to learn a whole bunch of stuff right now. That's not usually how we think. We usually start praying, God help. Get me out of this mess. Isn't that true? That's kind of how our mind kind of works. You know, God is actually orchestrating something profound in all of our lives. And he knows exactly what each one of us needs to grow and develop and become the person we need to become. And so we need not only the, the great moments of joy, the great moments of blessing, the great moments of favor. And by the way, we need those moments in our lives. I mean, oh, that's true. We need those times. I mean, can you imagine just living life, constant sorrow? That would be so challenging and difficult. So God breaks those up with, you know, times of refreshing, times of blessing, times of answer to prayer and all of that. But then there's other moments we go through difficulties and challenges. And then there's times where the movement seems especially long. We're just kind of struggling. We're wondering if this will ever come to an end. We're beginning to question, you know, is there God in heaven? You know, maybe you haven't had those moments, but those are dark seasons of the soul. We question. Uh, And we recognize that sometimes the greater the sorrow, the trial, the disappointment we're living with, when those seasons finally pass, what we... What we actually come out of is a moment of greater gratitude and joy than ever before. We're just going, wow, this is so amazing. And I have a a deeper appreciation. When I look back, you know, as you get a little older, you start looking back more you know, because there's only so much more to look ahead, right? So you got to look back, and you're looking back, and you're going, Do you know, I probably learned the greatest lessons in life during the most difficult moments in my life. How many of you could probably say amen to that? Isn't that true? You probably learned the most there, and when you came out of it, you started thinking, you know, uh, now that I'm through it, I can look with a different set of eyes than when I was in it. So I think there's lessons to be learned from those God chooses to bring about this beautiful Christmas story. And I have to think about it. How many times have I preached Christmas in this church? And how many sermons have I preached on Christmas? So there's only, you know, you can either preach it prophetically, or you can preach, you know, the few stories that we have from Matthew and Luke. So I'm going to go back into the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 1. I'm going to look at something. I've looked at this before, but I'm trying to come with some fresh eyes to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it's a very fascinating story, and I think there's some amazing lessons that we can learn from these two people. And I think I've entitled the sermon, The Faithful Life. There's some lessons that we learn when we live a very faithful life. And, you know, I, I've come to really value what God says. God really appreciates faithful people, and I, I understand why. Because you cannot do much in life when people are inconsistent. How many have ever owned a co- company and you've had inconsistent people? Anybody have that experience before? Okay, now you see what I'm saying. How many know that when you have consistent people that you can really depend on, you're going to give them more responsibility? How many know that's true? Isn't that the way it works? And God understands that that's true of us. So he's allowing us to make choices in our lives so that you and I can choose you know, to be consistent. And there's a blessing that comes not only to our lives because we're consistent and faithful, but I'm going to argue it brings great blessing to people around us. And that's important. So what can we learn from the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth? And now first of all, Uh, The first point I'm going to bring out is that the faithful life has some restrictions to it. What I mean by that is that we have to live a disciplined and prudent life. We don't just do our things. We're here to live to do God's will in our lives. And I think these are self-imposed restrictions. But I will also point out to us that everybody lives a restricted life. You know, we all have so many days. We only have so many resources. We all have limitations and liabilities. So we could all argue that everybody has a restricted life. But I'm talking about people who are choosing to restrict some things in their lives in order to fulfill God's purposes in their lives. And so I think that we live these restrictions in order to create a, uh, accomplish a greater purpose, namely God's will. Now, In the book of Proverbs, it's interesting. I'm actually studying that book. I've spent a lot of hours in the book of Proverbs. But I want to just go to the prologue for a minute and just bring out why I'm talking like this. Because in Proverbs, we read this, For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, and doing what is right and just and fair. So now he's teaching us, okay, how are we going to do these things? He says, For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or sorry, knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So, basically, the Proverbs are telling us something very powerful. It's saying this. If you want to live a faithful or a prudent life, you know, you have to discipline yourself. As a matter of fact, I would argue that the most successful people in life are highly self-disciplined. Okay? And, you know, you can be, you know highly disciplined in one area and be undisciplined in another. But ultimately, you have to discipline yourself in order to be successful in life. And that's what we're reading here in the book of Proverbs. But the word prudent or disciplined life, I was looking it up. You know, Webster, you know, basically says it's about a person who's prudent. You know, prudence is the ability to exercise sound judgment in practical manners. We'd call this good old horse sense, right? common sense how many go there's a lot of people out there and they're just not having they don't have a lot of common sense You ever met people like that you know sometimes I'll say these people are so smart they're stupid you ever met people like they're so so intelligent but yet they're doing stupid stuff I mean why because they lack prudence they lack discretion they lack understanding and wisdom this is someone who is sensible and not rash how many say, you know, I want to live like this. You know, I want to do the right thing before God. I want I want God's favor in my life. I want to reap the benefits of living that kind of a life. And that's what we're talking about here. So, God has a plan, I believe, for every one of our lives. And we have a choice in all of our lives, either to walk with God and to fulfill God's plan for our lives, Which, by the way, is far better and more exciting and more beyond what you could imagine than what you have planned. And the reason I argue this point is because God designed us. And when God designs somebody, he knows exactly why he designed that person. He puts certain abilities and gifts and skills in their lives. And so when you and I start walking with God and we obey God, God begins to utilize our lives, but he has to find this really important ingredient called a faithful life. And when we get to before God in heaven, when we're at the throne of God, what does he say about our lives when he, when he speaks to us? He says, well done thou what? good and faithful. Why? That's so important. So I think you and I need to pick up on that term that it's important to be a faithful person. So, here in our text, we're going to look at this godly couple who had to endure deep disappointment in their life. And I'm going to argue that we've all going to experience disappointment, you know, it's it's always interesting. You get junior hires. You know, one of the first things that comes out of their mouth when something happens that's not fair. What do they say? That's not fair. You know, that's the first thing. You know, and you you have to say to them, Yeah, you're right. It isn't fair. But unfortunately, in life, there's a lot of things that are not fair. How many have kind of discovered that life isn't always fair? Anybody figured that out yet? You know it's not always fair, and so there are moments of disappointment. It's not so much that we're gonna we're not gonna have disappointment. I can guarantee you, you, we'll all have disappointment. It's how we handle the disappointments in our life that begin to define us as human beings, and that's so powerful. So, let's take a look at the story. I'm going to pick up the story. I'm going to be all over chapter one of Luke's gospel here. So, but I'll give you a few to help you. Luke chapter one verse seven. It says about that Elizabeth and Zachariah they were without a child. They were they didn't have children. Because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. So what we're reading in the story is this is probably not going to change. Okay? This is like, you know, if it was going to happen, it would have happened earlier in their lives. But now it's probably not going to change. And we're going to find out a little later. This was something that earlier they were deeply concerned about. They were praying about But eventually, I think they stopped praying about it. You know, they kind of got to the point of resignation. Okay. Now, you have to understand that they were living in a culture unlike our culture. Okay. Because every culture has different mores or values. And when you travel around the world and you meet other people, they have different cultures and different values and different understanding, different way of seeing life. And so their lens, if I can say it that way, was real simple. They, they anticipated that children were a blessing from God. And the Scripture teaches that. They also believed that a Messiah was coming and that one person one day would be the mother of the Messiah. And that was a, a hope that every Jewish girl that was married entertained in her life. or maybe even before she was married, she was hoping along that line. Now, the other thing we have to remember about this couple here, it says... Uh, in verse 5, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But then we have that word, but. But there was a problem. You know, there was a difficulty in their life. And then you have to remember as a godly couple, what did the Jewish people would do in this little country is every year they would go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, I can't imagine that this couple did not follow that tradition. And so there would be a huge pilgrimage once a year, and the Bible says it, and also... Uh, ancient Near Eastern sources support it, that sometimes the city of Jerusalem would have up to a quarter of a million people flood their city. Now today, I've been to Jerusalem, 300,000 people live there today. Can you imagine having a quarter of a million people invade your city? You know, how many know that creates a little intensity? And all of these people were going up now. When you study the geography of the country... Jerusalem is high up compared to the rest of the country, so you're moving upwards, you know. And so they would actually recite certain psalms as they approached the city of Jerusalem for the festival. They were called the Psalms of Ascent. And if you look in your Bible... If you have little headings in your Bible, if you turn to Psalm 120, all the way to Psalm 134, it says, a psalm of ascent. And many of you have read that and you go, I have no idea what this is about. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to learn something, hopefully. It meant that you were traveling to Jerusalem and from wherever you were, from Jericho on the one side to Tel Aviv, they didn't exist then, but anywhere from that part of the, the Mediterranean side, they were literally ascending up to the city of Jerusalem. And while they were doing it, they were reciting these psalms. Now, listen, a couple of quotes from the Psalms of Ascent. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from Him. Now, you can imagine poor Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're reciting these words. So they're thinking about these words. They're meditating on them, and they're saying, God, as a young couple, they were probably praying. This was their desire. They were saying, Lord, would you reward us with a child? I'm going to show you later on that was their prayer. So they're praying this prayer. Then in verse uh, Psalm 128, it says, Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. Now you can imagine Zachariah saying this, no children. And yet he feared the Lord. So already, you know, you can see that there could be a problem. How many can begin to realize that sometimes the scriptures say something and in a very general way, and sometimes we take it in a very personal way, and then we personalize it, and then we feel condemned by it. Does anybody ever have that experience where you're reading a scripture, and at the end of it you feel upset about it? You go, this is not my experience. I'm not having this experience. And, you know, Zechariah could have easily said, well, hey, listen, I fear God, but where's the blessing? Right? Anybody see that little disconnect there? And this is going on every year. And nothing's happening. And this is his prayer. So obviously, in the minds of the Jewish people, they saw this as a blessing. This was embedded in their cultural mores. And then we notice something later on. Eventually, uh, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And, uh, and then she says this as she meets her niece, which happens to be Mary, eventually the mother of Jesus. And that's actually Elizabeth's niece. They're kind of related. John and, and uh, the Baptist and Jesus are actually second cousins. Isn't that amazing? So, after this, when his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, for five months remained in seclusion. She didn't want anybody to know. I mean, this, this is really exciting, but... Don't get your hopes up, right? You know the Lord has done this for me," she said. "In these days, He has shown His favor, and He's taken away my disgrace among the people. How did she see herself as a, a woman that didn't have a child? How did she see herself? She felt shame. She felt disgrace. She felt dishonored. You can see that because you don't make these statements after the the situation has tr- changed. And she feels, wow. You know, God's finally hurt, you know, done this beautiful thing for me. See that? So I'm just showing you, this was the cultural thinking of the time. Now, the first challenge that they faced as a couple was that they were childless in the culture that saw having children as a measure of God's favor and blessing. And yet, they remained faithful in spite of their disappointment. Now, that's on the negative side. I can show you another one. Sometimes we we interpret too much into our outward circumstances in life as being where we're at with God. And one of the great problems in the Old Testament was You know, they had this covenant with God. If they did the right things, God would bless them in a certain way. And if they did the wrong things, God would curse them. But, you know, a lot of Christians take that today. And so we interpret our circumstances as meaning, you know, if my life is going good, I'm blessed. If my life is going difficulty, God's rejected me. And I think that's a wrong interpretation. You go, how do you know that, Pastor? Because the man who Jesus tells the parable of that ended up in hell or away from Abraham's bosom and the and the the poor man who was begging for food ended up in Abraham's bosom. So all of a sudden their earthly circumstances were reversed in eternity. Isn't that interesting? And so, you know, the man who was in this condition said, "Please send someone to my 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 brothers who are alive because they're doing the same thing I was doing and they're interpreting God's blessing in the wrong way." And you know why I know that this man wasn't a righteous person? Because also he forgot to read in the book of Proverbs that you have to show kindness to the poor. He wasn't doing that. That reveals somewhat the condition of his real heart. It was all about him. And I have a deep concern that sometimes as Christians, when we make our theology fit, it's all about me, rather than really, what is God really trying to say? And how is God really trying to work in my life to help me to become a godly person, a godlike person, a Christ like person. That is so important. Now, the Bible also says uh, that it seemed like God was indifferent to their prayer. And this is kind of harsh, doesn't it? Because I mean, they were praying and God wasn't answering. How do you interpret that? And then eventually, they had prayed so long to have children, but there comes a point where you realize we're probably not going to have kids anymore, right? How many. I get the picture as I read the story. They were past the years of having children, okay, because they were elderly. You know, the Bible has this uh, barren woman motif in it. Does anybody know that? When you study the book of Genesis, you see it. You know, Sarah, you know, had to have a I I call it the miraculous conception. I mean, she, she really wasn't going to have a child, and God promised it to her, and then eventually God miraculously did it. So there are miraculous child stories throughout the Bible, and now we're getting one with Elizabeth because God is preparing for the ultimate miraculous birth story. It's the story of Mary who's going to have a child without the without the help of a man. This is amazing. This is the ultimate miraculous birth story. But how are you going to help this young woman who's going to suffer all kinds of shame and disgrace because now she finds herself pregnant in a culture that doesn't tolerate that? How is she going to handle that? And God prepares that by providing her aunt having this miraculous birth. And how many think that, you know what? Elizabeth probably would have never been able to minister and comfort her niece if she had not had that terrible, difficult experience in her life. How many probably think that that probably prepared her heart to be able to really minister to her, her niece, Mary? I think it did. The Bible also says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. You ever had a hope and then it doesn't become realized? And all of a sudden you're just so heart sick. You just go, well, I had my heart set on this and then it doesn't happen. Anybody have that experience? Well, of course, but you know what it says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You know, isn't it great when, you know, maybe you've given up on an idea, given up on a plan, you've given up on a desire, you've prayed, you've put it aside, and then all of a sudden, boom, it comes in a time you didn't expect it. Now all of a sudden, there's great joy in your life. You say, oh, God didn't forget me. Isn't that neat? And he can do that. As a matter of fact, God's timetable, what I'm learning from the story is his timetable is not my timetable. What he has in mind is different and often more wonderful than what we have in mind. God is about to do an even more incredible thing in the lives of Zachariah and Elizabeth. God heard their prayer, and God answers their prayer, but not in their timetable. And you know, I think about this. How many of us as maybe Christian parents or grandparents or, you know, maybe a sibling you know, we've been praying and praying and praying for someone, and we don't see anything. And you know, it's so disheartening. Anybody have that experience? And we almost want to give up. You know, maybe you've been praying for years. Maybe you've prayed for 10, maybe 15, 20 years, and you think it'll never happen. Can I just tell you something? Once I know there's people in your life praying for you, I go, good. I know that something's going to happen. Because God does not negate the prayers of his people. God hears the longing of your cry. If you're praying for your children and grandchildren, don't give up. That's what I want to tell you today. Don't give up praying, because God has something powerful in mind. He can do amazing things. Listen to what the book of Hebrews teaches us. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe, first of all, that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. How many are happy to see that? God is a rewarder of people who seek His face. God, you know, is paying attention. He's not dismissing our our petitions and our cry. You know, so... The faithful life is restricted in that our hopes and prayers are often delayed, but God uses these things to develop something in our lives. He's developing our character. You know, I don't know. I went through a real long season in the church, and I was going, I don't get what God's doing. And, you know, it was really discouraging. Things were going the wrong direction in my books. And eventually, God, after about five, six years of this, God finally said to me, You know, I said, well, maybe I'm the problem. You know, you ever get to that stage, you go, maybe I'm the problem. And God goes, no, you're not the problem. Well, I go, what's going on? God says, I'm developing something in you. Well, what are you developing me, God? Endurance. Perseverance. Patience. How many go, oh, goody. You know, (laughs) right? I, I really aspire to these things, God. But God is so committed to making you and I like him that he 's going to allow some things to happen in our life that will feel like we 're not we 're not getting anywhere we feel like we 're like those little chipmunks running in the cage you know going in round and round circles, but no he 's got a plan he 's developing character in our lives you know, and I believe also that when God answers our prayers finally it 's not only for our greater joy, but it's also a source of hope and encouragement to others. So a faithful life is restricted because we don't just get to, you know, say or do whatever. That's really what God's trying to teach us. God does not bless our doubt and unbelief. Isn't that amazing? Zechariah has this amazing uh, experience in the temple, and we have to learn something in that experience. And Zechariah says, uh, verse 8, once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. How many know? You, you and I would probably be a little. Shaken up when you have an angel appear to you. It's anything outside of the ordinary and normal is a little terrifying, and this really was. And the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid." That's why I know he was scared. You know, how many have kind of notice when you read the Bible, angels show up. They always have the their famous first words, "Do not be afraid." You know, so it already tells me that'll probably shake us all up. Okay, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. I want you to notice it's singular. Just thinking, Zachariah's probably thinking, which one, you know? <laughs> I, I've prayed a lot of prayers. Okay. Then eventually down in verse 18 and 19. I'm going to just jump down. We'll come back to that other thought. Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? How am an old man and my wealth, wife well along in years? The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news so he's basically saying, you know, sh- sh- you know, basically, show me a sign, right? How do I know this is going to happen? Now, how, how many kind of think that's a little interesting, Zachariah? You got an angel telling you, first of all, you know? <laughs> and, and how many know we have, we have uh, belief issues? Zachariah is kind of a, you know, a skeptic in some ways. I mean, he's a godly person, but he's got some skepticism inside of him. And I think that's true of many of us. There's a little bit of skepticism and doubt inside of us. And can I just say, when you're full of doubt, don't tell people. Your doubt is not going to bless anybody, you know. You must as well just be quiet. And what happens is, I love this, so Zachariah says, well, how's this going to happen? What's, what's the sign, Angel says, you're not going to be able to talk till the baby's born. In other words, don't spread your unbelief, you know. Don't tell people. I mean, he was having problems believing this because he knew this was, in a humanly speaking sense, not a possible thing. So he was struggling with that. I think we all struggle with what we say. Isn't that true? Uh, You think about the book uh, of James, you know, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. In other words, if you can keep from saying the wrong thing, you're a perfect person. Or you're a mature person. We've all had slips. That's what James is telling us. We've all said stupid things, right? We've probably said painful things. We've hurt each other. We've said rash things. We've said angry things. We've done all kinds of those kinds of stuff. So, Why is it that we communicate the wrong thing? Well, Proverbs, the heart of the wise makes their mouths prudent. So what's the problem when we say the wrong thing? It's deeper. The mouth is just an expression of what's really going on the inside. It says if we're a prudent person, they'll promote instruction. We know that that's true. Uh, Wise words basically come from right hearts. And I like what Dr. Longman shares. He says, our words are a reflection of our heart. And we need to know that. It was said about Jesus, he only did what the Father wanted him to do and he only said what the Father wanted him to say. That's what I call a restricted life. I mean, he's co-equal to the Father, but he's, he's, totally, he's totally surrendered and he's become totally subservient to the Father's plan and purpose while he's living on earth. That's the perfect life. That's pretty hard to do, isn't it? I got my opinion. Yeah, well, maybe God doesn't want you to share it. Isn't that true? I mean, I have a lot of ideas that are floating in my head, but unless God says engage and speak, maybe it's better to say nothing, you know? Just a thought. We'll move on. You agree with me? Yeah, thank you. The message says it this way. So Jesus explained himself at length. I'm telling you this straight. The son can't independently do a thing. Only what he sees the father doing. What the father does, the son does. And I would go on to say what the father says, the son was saying. Let me move on to the second lesson. If the first is a little frustrating, it's restricted. The next one's great. It's rewarded. There's a reward to serve God. I want to tell you that right now. God does bless us on His timetable and in His way. It's not what we want all the time. It's what He wants. And I would point out, God is not on my schedule. And I always think He's overdue. He's late. You know, I've pointed that out a few times. Anybody ever had deadlines with God and they just go right on by? and I just feel like God's saying, that's your deadline. That's not mine. (laughs) I'll do it in my timetable. Thank you very much. Uh, He sees the bigger picture. God... What he is doing, he knows, is not going to just affect our lives. It's going to affect other people's lives. So he's got a bigger plan than what you and I have. Here we see God revealing his purposes to a faithful servant. You know, Zechariah had come to Jerusalem, and this was the day. It's, It's amazing. For his entire life, he was hoping for this moment when he would be selected to go into the temple to burn incense. And I already read those verses in verse 8 and verse 9. He was chosen. And I like what G. Campbell Morgan says. This act came to no priest save once in a lifetime. So this is only a once in a lifetime experience. There were at least 20,000 priests at the time of Zechariah. And every one of them was supposed to have one day when he entered the holy place and stand by the fire and cause the incense to rise. Can you imagine? This is So all of his life, he goes up every year, he's choosing, and hoping he would get to go in, and now this is the day. Isn't that great? So in some sense, this was a very special day, but it was also a very ordinary day. I mean, he wasn't expecting an angel to show up. I can guarantee you. was not anticipating that. You know, there was a lot of people that went in and out of the temple, and they didn't have this experience at all. But when Zacharias came out, everybody knew something had happened because he couldn't talk. And he was probably, you know, writing on the slate and, you know, gesturing. And everybody figured out, hey, something has happened to this man after this experience. And the Bible says that. In that, in that special but ordinary day, something extraordinary happened. God broke into him, into his prayer. I love that. kind of shows me God's not even in our time zone. You know, he said, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you are to give him the name John. Isn't that amazing? So God says, this is a very specific prayer I'm going to answer. And that's why Zachariah is blown away. He says, listen, I, I stopped praying that prayer probably years ago. But can I, I'm going to just encourage us today. Do you realize that our prayers never die? They have no shelf life. God can choose to answer. I've been a Christian 42 years. God can say, you know, that prayer you prayed 41 years ago, I'm going to answer it tomorrow. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. I, I wouldn't even remember it, probably. But God stores them up. He knows what we're praying for. He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows the longings of our soul. And I like what Amos uh, tells us here in chapter 3, verse 7. He says, Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophet. God is a prayer answering God. In other words, when we pray, our prayers never die. They're ever before the throne of God and in God's perfect timing He answers our prayer. So, this is going to be a supernatural birth. And I believe that this birth helped Elizabeth help Mary. How many see that? So that's why God delayed. He created one miracle. Now he's going to do miracle number two. And for Mary to be able to walk through what she was walking through, because she was a lot younger than Elizabeth. She was far less developed in her faith life, she was a younger person. It's really great, I'm going to just say this, it's really great to have older people in our lives walking beside us, encouraging us, and helping us because of the experiences that they've had with God. We should never take that lightly. This culture today does not value experience. It values energy. It values youthful energy. And, you know, I like youthful energy. I love having young people on our staff. But I also like having experienced people on our staff because they, you know, they've learned a lot, you know. How many recognize it? You're, maybe you're a little older today. How many go, I may not move as fast, but I'm moving a lot smarter? Anybody here can relate <laughs> to that? you know? And, you know, a lot of times younger people, they're just burning up the energy. They've got energy to spare, but they're wasting a lot of energy and you know I was young once too and man I could spend a lot of energy but I had to do a lot more to get a lot less done And as you get older you start working a little more wisely you start learning what to not do and what to do you just pace yourself differently plus you have more experience you know you know what not to focus in on and what to focus in on you only get that by experience I'm not trying to put down youth I'm just saying this is reality and so Elizabeth I believe was a great blessing to Mary Mary, though, had an amazing faith for a young woman of her age. You know, let me just uh, move on. So, I'm skipping a few things. I've already covered this ground. God exceeds our expectations. I love that text in Ephesians that says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. How many know that many times when God answers prayer, he does it even beyond what you would think? Isn't that true? He he just decides. You know what? If you, I, I got a bit, here's my plan. God, God goes no no. I got this plan, way bigger. I have this. I, I this is this is the level of my faith. God goes yeah, but I'm going to expand it to this. See, God wants to develop us. So I think for a lot of us, our plan is too small. Yeah. You know seriously, yeah. We're like this. You know we need to understand that God has a bigger plan. And a better plan, and so we need to trust him. Uh, Here in the text, this child's going to become a very significant person in God's plan. So it's not just that Mary can encourage, uh, Elizabeth can encourage Mary, but look what happens. He says, "Now the son that's going to be born to you and Elizabeth, Zachariah, he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord." Now, I've thought about that, just that statement, think about that. How many here, you know, it's one thing to be considered great in the sight of people, but to have this said about you, that you're great in the sight of God. How many say, if I had to make the two choices, I'd rather live in obscurity and be, you know, think, thought of as really nothing in the eyes of man, but when God sees me, he says, you're great in my sight. How many would choose the latter? To be great in the sight of God. is that a great comment? He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will never drink wine or other fermented drink. Hmm. Doesn't want to impair his thinking. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. In other words, what he's going to be about, God's going to do. I mean, this isn't just John the Baptist. He's a great God. You know, so often we look at each other and we think, oh, you're really this, and you're really great there, and you're really that. Can I just say something? None of us are any of those things. God put the stuff inside of you. See, so then you and I don't have to walk with a big head all the time. If you have a gift inside of you, who put it there? Okay, yes, he did. Now, do we have a responsibility to develop what God puts within us? Yes, we do. That's the part. You know, my part is just being faithful to what God put in. How many follow what I'm saying? So we can't walk around going, oh, I'm good at this. No, God, put that inside of you. Yes, develop it. But we need to realize that's it's God that's doing this work. He says, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. How many know that's a very significant thing to be doing? Can I tell you something? When you and I have the privilege of sharing the good news with somebody and they give their life to Christ... Do you realize what you have done is an eternally significant work? That is so much greater. I mean, you could build the bridge on earth, but eventually the bridge will decay. But if you're building a person's soul, that's that's unseen, but it's a great work. That's what I want you to understand. And I want to encourage us today. You know, maybe some of you here said, well, I would love to have kids, but I've never been able to have them. Don't be discouraged. You can have spiritual children. You can be, you know like a spiritual mother or a spiritual father. You could be taking young people under your wing. You could be sharing the gospel. You could be spending time with them. You could be discipling them. You could be encouraging them. Amen? I'm just pointing all of this out to us. So, you know, we can walk around going, yeah, but I didn't have this opportunity. It's never too late. We have a beautiful ministry, one-on-one discipleship, where we get to mentor people. You could be involved in that. I don't know what I would be doing there, Pastor. We train you. Isn't that great? We train you to be a spiritual parent. I think that's awesome. You know, Pastor Mark, you have people that you have people walk beside people in crisis. There's so many ways that we can be involved in helping other people. He says, He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. How many go, that's pretty amazing. Anybody know who Elijah is? He's the guy that's calling fire down from heaven. Go, wow. But you know what? I never saw John the Baptist once call fire down from heaven. As a matter of fact, this is really going to blow your minds. Elijah did all these supernatural miracles. John the Baptist did not do one miracle. Well, what does he mean he's going to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah? This is what he means. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. In other words... When you and I are helping people get right with God, we are ministering in the power of Elijah. We're ministering. What what he's really saying is you're ministering in the power of the Spirit. This cannot be done by human agency alone. That's what he's telling us. And when you and I are ministering to people, we're doing it in the power of the Spirit. And we're making people prepared for the Lord. Now let me move on to the final lesson we learn from a faithful life has some restrictions is rewarded and it causes a person to rejoice Hmm. you know the work of the Spirit is to bring joy in our life the kingdom of God Paul says is not meat nor drink but righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost I'm quoting from the book of Romans joy in the Spirit In the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. Now, let me explain something about joy, because I think sometimes we think joy is an emotion. No, no, joy is different than an emotion. You know, sometimes we feel happy. That's an emotion. We feel elated. We feel delighted, you know. But I think joy is that delight and gladness we have because we're in relationship to God, bringing goodness into the lives of others. There's a joy there. There's a joy there. Joy goes beyond what's just happening around us. It is something that is happening in us. Joy is not determined by my outward circumstances. I can actually have joy in the midst of difficulty. That's very interesting. I can actually have a peace and a joy in those times. Listen to how Peter describes the life of Christ. He says, it's an inexpressible joy. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with what? An inexpressible and glorious joy. You know, a sense of well-being. A sense that, you know, there's a contentment in our soul. Yeah, that's good. I don't have to do anything to merit God's approval. I don't have to perform. I just have to, you know, allow God's love to, you know, come into my life and God's love to flow out of my life. That's the most important thing. God desires to give us blessings and joy in our lives. This answer to prayer would not only bring joy to Zachariah and Elizabeth, but also to many others. In verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, He will be a joy and a delight to you. How many have people in your life you can honestly say they are are a joy and a delight to you. Anybody have people like that in your life? Yeah, isn't that awesome? Maybe it's your children. It could be your grandchildren. It could be you know somebody that you're mentoring. They're bringing a joy and delight into your life. I don't. It could be a lot of people. You know, I have a I have a lot of joy. You go. Why do you have a lot of joy, Pastor? You guys, many of you bring joy and delight into my life. Why not all of us? You say. <laughs> uh, Well, the rest of you are bringing character development into my life. I'm just teasing you. I'm teasing you. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. Uh, No, I I have to honestly say, my church family brings great joy to me. And that, that includes all of you. It includes all of you. What's that? Way to recover, pastor. You know, my children always brought joy to me, but there were moments they stretched me. Come on now. Isn't that right? Okay, that's what I'm talking about. When we help others in their relationship to God, that's considered a great thing, and a joy is being passed on. Right? So what does John's calling have to do with us? You know, I'm moving on. So... What does what John's calling have to do with us? John is going to bring people back to God. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Already I'm bringing you back to point one. It's a restricted, prudent life. How many see that? We've got to live a life of wisdom. Wisdom is a godly life. It's, it's the right kind of life, not as unwise. What's an unwise person live like? They live as if there's no God. They act as everything depends on them. They're, they're, they're trying to manipulate things to their advantage, but usually it works to their disadvantage. Isn't that the way it works? That's unwise. He says, make the most of every opportunity. What does that mean? It means that we need to live a life in such a way that we're taking advantage of what God's bringing into our lives. And God also brings people into our lives. Some of them are Christians, some of them aren't. And you know what? When we meet people and they're open to the things of God, we should be sharing our faith with these people. I've I've developed relationships with non-believers. And it's fun, you know, to talk to them and to love on them and to care for them. And, uh, you know, even though they don't come to Christ doesn't mean I give up on them. No, I care about them. And that's what God is talking about. There, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirits. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, don't self-medicate. Why don't you just be filled with God? What a great thought, right? I'm not. Ta- I'm not speaking against medication. Remember, I said self-medicate. I think a lot of people are wounded, hurting, and they're just self-medicating. Aren't they not? Sure, they're taking, they're taking a foreign substance into their body to alter their emotional state of being because they're in so much pain. This is not prescribed. I'm talking about what's being prescribed by someone. I'm talking about people who are just self-medicating because they're in a lot of pain. You know, I'm going to encourage you, if that's you today, listen, God has a better form of ministering to your brokenness and needs. Listen, God can so fill your soul, begin to mend and heal the brokenness on the inside. You know, to know God will bring wholeness into your life. Actually, you will be loved at a level you've never experienced before. To know the love of God. God does love us, but we just don't know it sometimes. We need to experience that in our lives. And then he says, I'm going to close with the story of Dwight L. Moody. He was an evangelist. One day he's walking down the streets of Chicago. This is just the way he was, you know. He comes by this gentleman and he says to him, Sir, are you a Christian? And the guy got really irate. That happens sometimes. And he said, why don't you just mind your own business? And to which Moody said, this is my business. In other words, you are my business, and be proceeded to share with him. And the guy got irate and told him off, and Moody went home and left him his card. And eventually, when, you know, a little while later, when the man had gone through some difficulty, he realized that here was a person that actually cared about him, and went to Moody's home and said, you know what, I'd like to receive Christ. And so, you know, I think we give up too soon on other people. Isn't that true? We really do. So what I find fascinating, what is a faithful life? A faithful life is a life that I say, I'm living to do God's will. I'm self-imposing myself. I'm, I'm restricting, not just doing my thing, but I'm going to go, you know something? God's thing is better than mine. Number two, I believe it's a life that's highly rewarded. God hears every prayer. And God is concerned about every need in your life. You know, and I think to my own children and grandchildren, there's not anything I wouldn't do for their betterment. And some of you can say, that's true. You're thinking like I'm thinking. I go, man, if I'm like this, God's so much greater than me and so much better than I am, why wouldn't he do that to us? And the answer is, he does. But we have a hard time believing that. Because you know what we do? We look at ourselves and go, I'm not worthy. Can I just help you with that statement? You're right. You're not worthy but there's not one person in this room who is. See, so get out of the worry, worry, worthiness trap, okay? Get out of that thinking. God loves you because he created you and he died for you. What more do you want him to do? And all he's doing is inviting you to come to know him so that you can experience this amazing life. is that powerful? It is a powerful life, folks. Let's stand as we close this morning. You know, I was thinking about this message this morning, and I was, I was just thinking, Lord, there are many people in our church family, they're living a faithful life. This is a faithful church. But right now, maybe you've grown discouraged. Maybe you've prayed and you've wondered, you know, I prayed and prayed, no answer. I'm here to encourage you this morning. God hears your cry. God sees the longing in your soul. He hasn't given up on you. Isn't that good? You know what? Just because it's not in your timetable, that does not mean that God's not going to answer that prayer. Or He might answer it in a way that's totally different than what you've ever thought. How many of you have tried to coach God? Anybody tried to tell Him this is exactly what He ought to be doing? And I've noticed one thing about Him. He doesn't usually answer that way. That's when I know that I have a relationship with God because in my mind I go, this would be good God. I'm telling him what would be good. And he goes, I've got a better idea. And he's not Ford either. He's got a better idea. It's a far greater idea and encompasses more than what you and I have in mind. Our character, the people around us. God has a bigger picture, folks, than what we have. We think, oh, you know, if God, you did this miracle in this person's life, everybody would come to faith. Not necessarily. If Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead, and there were people that saw a dead person come back to life and still didn't believe, miracles alone aren't going to bring people to faith. You see what I'm saying? We need to understand. We, we, sometimes we think, oh, God, if he did this, this is what would happen. Not necessarily. So with this every head bowed here today, how many here you could say, you know, Pastor, I have been disappointed. Maybe you're living in that state right now of disappointment. And I'm challenging you. I think the Spirit of God is challenging you and saying, look, hang in there. Just be faithful. Zachariah and Elizabeth were faithful, and there came a day. There came a day when his lot was pulled. There came a day when he was in the temple. There came a day when an angel came to him. There came a day when the angel said, listen, God has heard your prayer. And not only that, this is what's going to happen. It's even bigger than you think. I've I've woven you into a bigger plan called the plan of salvation. You're going to have a son. He's going to be the forerunner of Jesus. He's going to prepare the people for their Messiah. That's who you're going to have as a son. My plan is greater and my plan is bigger. How many here today, you have to admit, you're a little discouraged right now. Anybody, just raise your hand. That's where you're at. Yeah, many hands have gone up this morning, a little discouraged. I want to pray with you today. Let's be encouraged in God's goodness. Let's be encouraged in God's timing, different than ours, right? So Father, we come before you today. We thank you. What an amazing Father you are. We thank you, Lord, and we live this blameless life, this godly life, Lord. Things begin to happen in your timetable. Lord, I thank you for this amazing, amazing example, Lord, of two ordinary, faithful people who you use in an extraordinary, miraculous way. But Lord, I pray today we're ordinary people. Maybe we've been praying and we're discouraged maybe today. We've we've acknowledged that. We're discouraged. I pray that you would hear the cry of our soul, Father, and you would answer maybe in a way differently. It might be different than what we had ever anticipated. But we're willing to acknowledge today, Lord, we're letting our hands off and we're allowing you to come at this point and answer prayer according to your better design and in a way beyond our imagination and beyond our understanding. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.